Warning, the Dub Talk podcast contains language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. There will also be spoilers for various anime throughout the course of this episode. Please use caution in case we discuss a series that you haven't finished. Finally, the opinions expressed are those of the individual participants and may not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Enjoy the show. Avast ye hearties, and welcome to a brand new episode of Dub Talk Retro. A, a show where a bunch of nerds get together and talk about animation from yesteryear and the English language track that accompanies it. Um, I am your host for this evening, uh, Patrick, and joining me today is Noah. Heavens to Murgatroyd! That's the spirit of 1776 here to go on this flying adventure! No, even! Hey, I gets to know. What makes you so funky? <laughs> they never quite answer that oh, question. God. That show didn't even have anything funky in it. Like, like there's no funk music or anything. It was very, very white, including the ghost. <laughs> And that was a very Harvey Birdman reference I just made. <laughs> I got. I haven't seen very much of that show. I'm sorry. It came out in the time where I wasn't watching a lot of Adult Swim. You should. That it's like a love letter to uh, Hanna-Barbera. Uh, I you, know. Anyway. You would really enjoy it. Um, also joining me is one Mr. Amon. Our skeleton pirate of the uh, Dub Talk crew. Amon's trying to communicate, but as a skeleton, he has no voice box anymore, so he's just going to clack his teeth in the corner here. <laughs> Amon, I, I gotta ask. I saw a reference to um, that Skeleton Bookman show earlier today, so I gotta ask if you would get the reference. We're mm-hmm. looking for this really popular BL manga. What do you have a suggestion? Oh no, that is ah! special yaoi book. I was hoping you referenced the uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's... <laughs> See, the one that always comes to mind is some guy comes in asking for like a really short, self-contained shoujo manga. And uh, when later in the episode, at, at the end, when the clerk who was helping that person comes back in, they ask, oh, what did he buy? And it's like, he just bought Berserk. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's like the opposite. I love Honda exactly. <laughs> Look... As someone who was working in a comic book store and that come out, it's like, yeah, yeah, oh, that boy. that is it. <laughs> well, I'm glad you cowards. Well, I'm glad we got all the people who are into the the old material here because, as I understand, we're we're going to be covering something that uh, was created before any of us were born, and possibly even many of our parents were born, or at least close. So, Flying Phantom Ship, before I get into the actual summary of the film itself, um, actually has a little bit of an interesting history. Yep. Th- uh, so this was a little bit of a licensing white whale. Um, it is a film from 1969 uh, by our friends at Toei Animation. Nice. Uh, friends being a word with the air quotes. Um... Just, it's been a thing people have talked about because the, um, like, you look at the animation, like, the credits of animators, and there is, like, everybody there. Mm-hmm. Including one Hayao Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. Who's that guy? Who did key animation for the film. And I believe there was, like, a couple of other Ghibli folks who were who were here as well. Uh, but for whatever reason, it just kind of sat there unlicensed for the good part of about five decades. And then suddenly, as you do, uh, May of this year, we had a bit of a discotheque day where they just said, hey, we got it. And you know what? We're going to dub it. So that is why we are here today to discuss that dub. Why? I, 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 why? Like, I mean, I, we'll get to the merits of the movie itself, but I could not find a reason why they picked this of all things. There's, 
usually when I see something like this, like, a, you know, forgotten or obscure or just old material being licensed, it's because it was included as a package deal with something else. So does anyone know if this was like, uh, like buy one, get buy one good thing, get a obscure Toei movie for free kind of thing going on? I'm sure I... they just kind of had communications with Toei and they're just like, yeah, we got this. You want it? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do think it helps that I do think this show has a little bit of uh, cachet in the American anime world. Not not recently, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll get into this more, but uh, this, this, this Blu-ray happens to come with a commentary track. Uh, and uh, they actually mentioned, they briefly mentioned at the beginning that one of the hosts mentioned, like, you know, I might I might call it by the title that I think of it as, which is um, Flying Ghost Ship, which oh. I'm not sure why I have that, but it's almost certainly because that's what it was listed on on some tape trading list that I saw like a billion years ago. That would uh, make so sense. So that's what it's called yeah. in my brain. I mean, it doesn't have the alliteration of Flying Phantom Ship, but I can see why it would have been translated as that. Yes. Flying Phantom Ship's a much better title, I, w- I would agree. It's, it's very fun to say. It really is. Almost as it much is. fun as actually watching it, which... Can, can we just get into the... It was a trip. The bizarre oh. mesh of different genres and stories in, crammed into this wonderful boys' adventure of a movie. Oh, yeah. So I've got a little bit of a plot description for you, courtesy of Anime News Network. Beautiful. Returning from a happy fishing trip... Hayato Arashiyama and his father witnessed a traffic accident, whom they identified to be Chairman Kuroshio, the owner of the shipyard Hayato's father worked in, and his wife. Helping the Kuroshios take shelter from a thunderstorm in an abandoned western-style mansion, a mysterious figure with a skull mask haunted them, calling himself the captain of a phantom ship. A few days later, a giant robot calling itself a messenger of the phantom ship appeared from nowhere and attacked a seaside city, killing many civilians, including Hayato's parents. Hayato's father told him a big secret before drawing his last breath. To avenge his parents, Hayato joined the volunteer defense force organized by Chairman Kuroshio, yet he stumbled upon more and more surprising and horrible secrets. Gasp. Uh, are we allowed to share on recording what that uh, that big secret was that Hayato's father told him before he died? I, I feel like you should not be getting into a podcast for a 60-minute movie and assuming you will not be spoiled, <laughs> because what exactly are we going to discuss then? That's a good point. The first 10 yeah, minutes cause... of the movie? I think not. We could, I mean, that, the yeah. first 10 minutes is different from the rest of the movie, which is different from the next 10 minutes, which is different <laughs> from the next 10 minutes. I mean, we've got a character that we'll be talking about that only shows up in, like, the last 15 minutes, so we're going to be spoiling some shit. And um, the big thing, the big secret is Hayato is not the son of the Arashiyamas. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that in a little bit. That we will. Mm-hmm. And before we go, uh, we're getting to the discussion of the dub, which, again, dub for a 60s movie in 2022. I don't know why. But I'm glad they did, because this movie, this particular movie, uh, is uh, very interesting in the history of Toei feature animation. Uh, if you know anything about their feature animation, even from our earlier retro episodes, you may know that they started out making, like, really elaborate, on-the-one-style animation based on folklore and fairy tales, like Chinese and Japanese folklore. And that's what they've been doing since the 50s. A couple of years in, Toei is starting to get a little tired of that. They've kind of exhausted that technique, and their staff is also being monstrably overworked uh, if you know anything about uh japanese animators not being treated very well that was very much going on in the 60s as well so mid 60s we get union workers who help make the uh rights of the animators better taken care of they get paid better they're not forced to overwork and crunch and they start experimenting with different types of movies because they they're kind of getting tired of the fairy tales thing so that's why in the mid 60s we get movies like Gulliver Beyond the Moon, Cyborg 009, and of course, Flying Phantom Ship. So, and we also get, like, more left-leaning politics, which ties into the, uh, those surprising and horrible secrets that Patrick was talking about. So, this movie's gonna be a mashup, not just of different genres from the time period, but also the, uh, sort of the political atmosphere of the animation studio in the late 60s. 
Alrighty. Well, you know, if there is an animation crew, and we're talking about this, there must also be a dub crew. Uh, so, introducing our directors and our scriptwriter. Um, for our directing staff, we have Brittany Lott and Matt Shipman, um, who have worked together on such projects as Kimono Jihen and She and Her Cat. And doing the script writing is Madeline Morris. Uh, you would know her work from the second season of Beastars and Other Side Picnic. Um, and I do have to say, um, the only real gripe I have with the um, with the production side of the stub is like it. The actual dialogue sounds a little too clean in compared to the. Um, the background audio track, the uh, the soundtrack, and the sound effects. It's kind of the same issue I have with the newer dub of Akira. Um, oh. Where... Ev- oh, you mean where the... all uh, the spoken... The, I'm sorry, yeah, the... Yeah, all uh, the... Sp- yeah. So that movie made in the yeah. late 80s, the dub came out... The, the new dub came out in, like, the early 2000s, right? That's the one you're talking about? Yeah, mm. and the... And the new dub had, like... Like, they went whole hog with that new dub. I believe they there was some sort of collaboration with Skywalker Sound, if I recall correctly. It sounded really crisp and clean, but the um, like those kind of old sound effects and music, they just kind of hit different. Yeah, there's definitely a cleanliness to this dub because of the, the technology that they've got and the um I suppose the the lack of dirt in audio, I think it's the term that they use, to describe uh, Mm. hisses and scratches and the kind of things that uh, modern productions don't really have anymore. Um, I was honestly surprised that they were able to get a copy of this movie with the background and music intact, but without the the audio. So I... Mm. Yeah. Can you imagine if they, like, had to either, like, redo all the audio and effects or just had to, like... I don't know, like, like silence the audio from the Japanese side to, like, overdub it with English. That that would be a nightmare. Mm, not fun. Yeah. And, like, but, it's one of those things that I kind of figure it's a little bit of a logistical nightmare to, um, to try and get something that would match it. I would assume you'd have to, like, pull out 60s, 70s era audio recording equipment. <laughs> Who's got that nowadays? Like... We go to the. We're gonna go to the. You'd probably have like you would probably have to consult like an extreme collector. They all they all have to haul over to fucking Jack White's studio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. White, Jack, I, I, Jack to... how are you doing? It's like all these fucking dubbing companies want to use my equipment. Are you turning them down? <laughs> no, I'm just confused. What? It's, why is this happening? There's, a, there's an appeal. There's an attraction to like this retro sound that you're not giving it to the people. They want it. I mean, I have to imagine uh, but that other... the okay. So, who is going to be uh, buying this movie? Who's going to be buying this Blu-ray release for a movie that came out a long time ago? Is people who probably have already seen other movies that were produced and maybe even dubbed from this time period. So, I can see why you could argue that they should have gone with that technique. But they also probably wanted to try to draw in new people folks who wouldn't normally go for this kind of stuff and are only going to check this movie out because it's a new release with maybe some of their favorite actors in it. So you might be able to draw in some newer folks. So using the cleaner techniques, I feel, was the better, not just logistic choice, but the better marketing choice as well. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Though the other thing, like, the other way this sounds, period... Um, that thankfully they do very very right is with the um, is with the actual dialogue and script writing. Like it feels like at the very least, you know, Brittany, Matt, and Madeline dug up an old script and they're just like, this is like halfway usable. Let's um, let's just clean it up a little and see what we can do. I know that's obviously not what happened, but it feels. It feels very appropriate for the for the time period in which the film was produced. Oh, no, no. See, see, Patrick, I think that this movie was going to get a dub back in 69, and you had, like, Warner Brothers Studio was going to, like, give it a dub with some celebrity actors from the time. Like, they were going to get Bing Crosby, or, like, they were going to pull, uh, 
I don't know, uh, some old people out, and they're going to have them dub this. But they never did. They just kept the script. And so they found that old script with the 60s slang and dialogue, and they just dubbed it in 2021. And that's what we got. I like the way I mean, you that think, w- sir. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. I gotta say, I, all- I there's a lot of, um, uh, I'd say about 95% of this dialogue is uh, pretty timeless sounding in that there's not a lot to date it to this time period. There's like a couple of um, holy craps that get thrown in the dialogue that I know I've never heard in a cartoon from 69. But most of the time, stuff like, wowee and duh and like little phrases like this that hayato says are pretty spot on for how a kid would actually talk in this time period Mm. yeah i mean at at first see the does kind of threw me off a little bit but like it is Mm. probably the way uh, a teenager in the 1960s would have spoken is it even a teenager I mean, he's probably, like, 12. Yeah, that sounds right. He's an indeterminate youth. (laughs) There we go. The the kind of which many, many uh, anime were kind of focusing on. Like, I I figured he was, like, the same age as the kid from Galaxy Express 3.9 or, you know, just other uh, media from that time period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Age kid. There you go. Voiced by, not a kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, and before we actually move on to the actors involved, um, one other thing I would really like to talk about, um, other than you know, direction-wise, this is a very, very solid dub, and Brittany and Matt did a good job. Um, one, one highlight that we're not really going to be get- going through in terms of the characters is like. The jingle was really good for the um, for the fictional <laughs> soda brand. It's so good. <laughs> like, it's so I, good. <laughs> like they got um, they got Safberry and I believe um, Yungi Chang to do the uh, to do the vocals for it. It's great. It it sounds like some. It sounds like an actual product you would probably be. You know, you would mm-hmm. probably be drinking, become hopelessly addicted to, and turn into seafoam over. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the kind that you would also be uh, incredibly sick of hearing, but you will never be able to get out of your head once you've heard it. Precisely. Yes. It's right up there with the gum commercial from Inside Out. <laughs> Damn it. And now it's stuck in your head. How could you? I thought we were friends. Oh, no, no. I mean, well, we are friends. Like, only friends get to come along this phantom ship. But that doesn't mean we don't get to rib each other along the way. <sighs> That's true. I'm trying to think. Like, is, right. there any, is there anything? That, um, the one, oh. I'm sorry, I just have one last note on the dub is that, uh, yeah, they, they do, in the dialogue, keep most of the, the terminology and the delivery very period appropriate. If you've seen, like, your old Hanna-Barbera productions or uh, your, like, um... Oh, it's the holiday season. We're recording this in early December, by the way. If you've seen your old Rankin-Bass holiday specials, that kind of delivery is pretty much what they make the actors talk like here. So if you're familiar with those, it's pretty much like that. The one thing that felt a little out of place is there's a scene where Hayato is being dragged out of the TV studio, and he's shouting about how Boa Juice will turn you into into slime! And I'm like, there's no way that they... Yeah, there you go. It's like, there's no way they didn't tell the actress, okay, you've seen Soylent Green, right? Okay, we're going to have you act like that, basically. But I looked it up, and Soylent Green came out in 1973. This movie came out four years before that, so we know that it wasn't being referenced in the original movie, but now it can become a retro reference. There you go. How about you, Ahmad? Did you have any gripes with the dub uh, acting script-wise? I, I like you. It would have been nice if they've been able to give the the newly recorded of uh, that sort of analog uh, dirt that the uh, music soundtrack has. Um, but that's ultimately a very minor nitpick. I think this is very well put together. This uh, 
For shows like this, I often kind of have a, a very arbitrary uh, measuring stick, which is basically, would have I enjoyed this when I was eight? Now, and for the movie, there's no question. Of course I would have. Look at it. <laughs> uh, and I think if I if I had watched this in English when I was eight, this dub would have been absolutely perfectly suitable for what I for what I would want out of it. Like, oh my god, correct. Would well, have, yeah, would have. Eight year old Patrick would have eaten this shit with a spoon if it aired on Sci Fi. Yeah, put put this sucker on the Sci Fi Saturday morning anime block. See, you uh, guys. Which... Yeah, you think this would air on sci-fi in the like the time period when you were eight years old. I'm thinking of, like, th- this could have been, like, a Disney Channel kind of thing. Back in that era where Disney was, like, they would license everything because they didn't have a, a bunch of their own stuff yet. So you would get oh, stuff yeah. like this. Like, they had that on their channel. Yeah, that or Nickelodeon in, like, yeah. the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, kind of Nick at yeah, Night it- kind of stuff. It actually, fe- yeah, that feels like it would have shown up right about then, yeah. Yeah, that actually reminds me of something they discuss on the uh, commentary track, which the, the people in the commentary track are Mike Toole and Dave Merrill. Uh, they actually mention, they sort of briefly discuss, hey, how come this, this didn't get licensed before? And their best guess is that at 60 minutes, it's a weird length, mm-hmm. which makes it hard to do it for theatrical distribution. It's too short to do it for theatrical distribution, but it's also too long to comfortably put it on TV. It is, you're right. Yeah. You could try to pad it out with commercials to get it to an hour and a half, but... Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a lot of commercials. That's a could, lot of commercials. I mean, you could also cut in some interludes, you know, with maybe uh, maybe a host, two robot companions, and, like, oh evil scientists. <laughs> you could have padded out an extra 20 minutes with that. Oh, my God. D- have you guys ever seen um, How the Grinch Stole Christmas? Have you ever seen the, the, the Phil Hartman special that they filmed for that? The what now? Oh, you haven't seen this? I didn't even know this existed. What uh, is this? Okay, I'm going over to my shelf. Hold on a second. Hold on. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> first Noah's of all... Noah's going to the shelf. First of all, props to Jenny, because she found she found the DVD version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the deluxe edition, in uh, mm-hmm. Goodwill. So thank you for buying that for me, honey. But Okay, so apparently back in the like early 90s, TNT, you remember that channel? Uh, yep. They they made this little featurette, uh, basically showing how how the Grinch Stole Christmas got made, and it's right. it's hosted by none other than SNL alumni Phil Hartman, and he's doing like this. He's got this suave uh, butler persona going on, and he's like, it, it's really interesting. And yet, that's the kind of thing that I would love to see to do with this movie for a television broadcast to pad it out. Also, Jennifer standing right next to me, giving me the look. Hi, I have one thing, that when I first brought that home, you were like, what did you buy that for? We already have it on VHS. <laughs> Until you discovered that it had bonus features. It's true. It, I, thank you, honey. I mean, I do Look. like the VHS, but this is but this is good, too. Thank you. Bless, bless you, Noah. You're the only man I know who would respond to that with, but we already have it on VHS. <laughs> They're saying you're the only one I know who would watch. Who would say why we already have it on VHS? Exactly. I had the same reaction when she bought a DVD version of A Christmas Story. By the way, <laughs> I love you, honey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> so I think at this point we should probably um, start introducing the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as, before, uh, before we do that, I do want to mention one bit of uh, a pedigree about this movie, sure. um, which I don't think is very obvious because I think if this shows up in the credits, it's in Japanese, and so if you don't know what to look for. Uh, this is based on a short one-volume manga uh, that is by a guy named uh, Shitaro Ishinomori. Do you know who that is? Is that the Gundam guy? Oh, uh, no, that's, that's... no, 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 no. <laughs> that is the... Uh... Kill them all to me, the Power Rangers, Kamen Rider, Cyborg 009 guy? Correct. He is. He's, oh. like the, the, he is like the other. He's like the big granddaddy of shonen manga that no one in this country knows about because like <laughs> two series of his have ever been released in English. I mean, I, I remember uh, when I first saw Cyborg Zero Zero Nine. You see the characters like the big noses. I'm like, oh, this is a Tezuka thing, right? And then I nope. got bitch slapped nope. by a guy at a convention. <laughs> in 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 fairness, I I did track down a, a little uh, like. Uh, you know, somebody had, like posted a translation of this online, uh, and I did look at a reading. It's like this is very like Ertsets Tezuka. Like it's not. He's a lot. He's he's a little too like he, he's not Tezuka because Tezuka isn't capable of being this unclassy. 
it's a little too rough and tumble, but, like, you can tell he's coming from the same level of, like, uh, it's action, but some of the people should look funny, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, the manga is very, very different. It's it's an extremely loose adaptation, which is sort of interesting. Uh, I like the movie better because the skeleton captain is actually looks like a skeleton. Did he in not? The comic in the only. Mo- no, he has like this. Um, I don't know how to describe it. It's like kind of like a white featureless mask with sort of like Vegeta hair on top. Is how I describe it. Kind of like really pointy. Here, I'm gonna uh, look. I'm gonna look. And then all Google of his. And then all of his goons have, like, skeleton costumes, which is neat, but I like it more when he's literally just, like, some crusty sea captain who's a skeleton. That's great. Okay, I think I've saw- I found the aesthetic. manga cover. It is great. It's a great aesthetic. Yeah, you're uh, right. Look. Uh, anyways, we should we should get on to the characters, though. Yes. Thank all you for right. telling me where that's from, by the way, because I-, I wasn't sure where this was adapted from, so thank you for pointing that out. You're welcome. Alright, so first and foremost, we have the Arashiyamas, um, Hayato, the the son, who is actually adopted. Um, we also have the father, Mr. Arashiyama, who tragically dies, like, 15 minutes into the movie. Um, yep. We also have Hayato's dog, Jack, <laughs> um, who is basically just the comedy relief of the movie. Uh, the mysterious phantom ship captain who, uh, spoiler alert, ends up being Hayato's real dad. Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ruriko, who shows up in the last 15 minutes, who's just kind of another orphan that the captain kind of picked up and... Like, there was... There was a point near the end of the movie where she was talking about how she was an orphan, and I'm just like... Oh no, you are not going to fucking make her the real daughter of the Arashiyamas, are you? (laughs) It didn't end up happening. Your brain works in a weird way. I don't think anyone else theorized that was going to be the thing that happened. Uh, And then last but not least, we have Mr. uh, Mr. Kuroshio, the the CEO of this company. Um, He's basically the bad guy who makes a bunch of robots and gets turned to seafoam by a giant robot crab. This movie is nuts, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) A a new thing every ten minutes. Uh, And then we have his military advisor, Hanawa. Um, He just kind of sucks at his job and gets, like, Bond villained. Like, push the button and he gets sent down a trap hole. Is he is he is he the one who gets yeah is he the one who gets sent down the uh, the big collapsing stair uh, chair thing the chair yeah I believe so yeah what a oh, sap yeah. <laughs> all right and in terms of actors for those characters um, Hanewa is played by Rick Zeef uh, you would know as you know him as um, characters like Shusuke Amagai in Bleach Koichi in A Letter to Momo. And he was also Simon in Steamboy. Fun fact, um, according to ANN, he also directed the dub for Steamboy. Wow, that's a um, while ago. Mr. Kurashio is played by Lucas Shuneman. Um, you would know him from such roles as Oniguno from One Piece. And Negro Ponte from Legend of Galactic Heroes, Dinoya Tesa. Uh, Ruriko is played by Julia Gu. Uh, you would know her from such roles as Kiki and Love Live Superstar. Uh, Latifa in Seirei Gen... Sorry. Seirei Gensuki, uh, Spirit Chronicles. And Moria in... Okay. Here comes another mouthful. Life with an ordinary guy who reincarnated it... Life with an... Life with an ordinary guy who reincarnated into a total fantasy knockout. There we go. Third time's a chunk. There's a little clap. Uh, the f- well deserved. The captain... Captain of the Phantom Ship is played by one Patrick Seitz. Uh, you would know him from such characters as Kempachi Zaraki in Bleach, uh, Dopo Kunikita in Bungo Stray Dogs, and Senji Kiyomasa in Dead Man Wonderland, among a great many other things. <laughs> you thought uh, that he was your father, but it was I, the Phantom Ship Captain! Uh, Jack the Dog is played by Kellen Goff. You would know Kellen Goff from such roles as Porco Galliard in Attack on Titan, Kochi Yatake in Given, and Hoodlum in Akudama Drive. Uh, Mr. Arashiyama is played by Frank Dodaro. Uh, you would know him from such roles as Draluk in The Vampire Dies in No Time. Watch that, it is a fun dub. Uh, Leif Erikson in the Netflix dub of Vinland Saga, and Starscream in 
uh, Transformers were for Cybertron, the, the Netflix series. And last but not least, Hayato Arashiyama is played by none other than Mona Marshall. You would know Mona Marshall from such roles as Izzy in Digimon, uh, Toboe in Wolf's Reign, and she's also Sheila Brofilovsky in South Park. Should, should, should we sing the song? Uh, or, or, or are we not allowed I mean, to? We don't have the time for that, really. Yeah, copyright's also a thing. Oh, fair enough. Fair um, enough. We'll save that for the Patreon. Subscribe to our Patreon to get us to sing the entire soundtrack to Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, the South Park movie. Yeah, we'd do it. If somebody gives us like a hundred bucks on Patreon, we'll fucking do it. <laughs> okay, so let's screw all of the, the voice actors here. Screw all of that right now. And let me just focus on Kelly Goff for just a second. I just want to get this out of the way right now. So Jack is a dog. And he's like a Great Dane looking yep. character. And we first see yep. him in a haunted house. So, someone on this call, please tell me, how is it that this movie actually came out before Scooby-Doo? Because I could have sworn that this was inspired by Scooby-Doo, but no, that show didn't come out until three months after this movie came out in Japan. How is that I mean, possible? It's to be better, fair, it, it didn't... <laughs> to be yes. fair, Scooby-Doo is a great dame. Jack would appear to be some sort of Mastiff mix. I, okay, fine. I, I know how you're feeling, but I, I feel like part of the solution might be is that there is a bit towards the... And it may be that my chronology in this is even more off, because this, I am waiting into territory that I don't know very well. There's a bit near the beginning where Jack is, like, uh, cackling himself and gripping his face and looking, and it's like, ah, that's Muttley. That's definitely <laughs> Muttley. It's a different breed, like, but that, is... that's Muttley. That did come out before that, that's true. There is so a feel, wide I, series of cartoon dogs that are comically human intelligent that don't speak. I, I, that Jack I, I feel was like probably the, based off of. The, the the synchronicity of this and Scooby Doo is notable, but yes, I think I think they are both ultimately drawing on a, a maybe not super long, but they both have antecedents. <laughs> they they probably have common antecedents they're both drawing on, and that's how we get this. Here's a, let's give our character a large dog to be funny with. It could, yeah. I mean, in nineteen sixty nine. The, the uh, character designer for all of the Hanna-Barbera characters, including Scooby-Doo, was Japanese himself. So there, there's a possibility. Well, You're there you right. go. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but, um, I just want to get that. On that way. note, like, um, Kellen Goff does give Jack the sort of Hanna-Barbera cartoonish quality. It's great, mm -hmm. and it's fun. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Like, there's really not much to say, because all, all he's really doing is, like, animal effects. Yeah. Uh, but then again, I mentioned Porco from Attack on Titan for a reason, because he's, well, I'm not going to spoil anything, but, like, he, it's a character that gets to make, like, really animal noises that really kind of lends itself well to a character like a semi-talking dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's much more cartoonish than a realistic animal. And Toei had done this in a lot of their movies. Like, going back to their first one, Panda and the Magic Serpent had anthropomorphized animals, but they were very much non-speaking animals. So th this is in the wheelhouse of what Toei had done before. Hmm. And I mean, honestly, like, um, Rick Zeef and Lucas Schooneman just be being the two, like, goonish bad guys who are, like, mm -hmm. they're all, there's this sort of stepping ladder of bad guys where it's just like, yeah, the military guy gets James Bond villained with the with the little button and the and the descending trapdoor. Honey was Honey was an interesting addition because his he shows up in the movie after we've been in the haunted house for ten minutes, and I thought, okay, this movie is going to be a haunted house movie after the car crash happens, but then Haniwa shows up just kind of was like, yeah, your butler told me you were here. And then Black cut to, okay, we're done with the haunted house. Let's go to the next part of the story. So he, he quite literally cuts the movie down by showing up. This movie is super efficient with its hour-long runtime. <laughs> it gives you the bang for your buck. But he's you also... not be bored. Like, he's really good at that. Rick Zeef is really good at that kind of sniveling henchman kind of deal. And then the funniest part is, like, Mr. Kuroshio is 
propped up in the in the latter half of the film to be the the main bad guy. Oh no, it's the soda company. <laughs> like a massive conspiracy with this soda company, like creating sea creature robots to attack Japan. It's great. I don't know if uh, if uh, Futurama will ever fess up to it, but it sounds that sounds kind of similar to that that one episode with. What was the drink that they found out was, uh... Slurm. Slurm. Yeah, yeah, it's, I had a very similar reaction to that episode. <laughs> what can we say, soft drinks are evil? <laughs> I hear they have a soft drink that's made out of people. Is it any oh, good? No. It varies from person to person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Soylent Cola, night, the, night, the, other, the other joke from that Futurama episode. What? The soil and cola, that that was uh, the name of the soda you were referring to. Ah, uh, yes, thank you. It's been a while since I've seen that episode, that TV show, too. Anyways, uh, performances. Haniwa, like you said, uh, good sniveling performance. I like that uh, the two contrast each other because Haniwa's uh, performance is very clearly not refined. It's like it's less didactic and it's less refined in his delivery than the other characters, especially Mr. Kuroshio, uh, who, incidentally, I want to give Lucas a lot of credit for his uh, Mr. Kuroshio because there's a there, he has like his bad guy monologue where he's telling his like subordinates we have to continue to uh, pose as the good guys while waging war and launching our uh, giant robots. All of that while his character design doesn't move. Like, his head just stays still, and the mouths are just flapping, flap, 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 flap. But Lucas puts a lot of really good delivery into that. He's, like, calm, cool, collected. It's, like, like all the suaveness with zero animation. That is an incredible feat to do. Yes. And then, um, continuing up the list, like, um... I actually really like Julia Goo, even though the, the character of Ruriko really just shows up, doesn't really get the opportunity to do much except, like, explain, oh, this is, this is how this ship system works. We might be able to use that in the war against Boa Juice. I mean, she does get, her first appearance is uh, kind of getting to bitch out Hayato for good reason, because his, uh, uh was it his... Soft drink withdrawal basically caused them to be distracted and got hit by the enemies. So she does serve yeah, that function. Yeah, yeah, drunkie, say what you want. <laughs> yeah, you're only 12. <laughs> <laughs> like, Being no, 12 no. isn't an excuse. <laughs> but yeah, I like her delivery too. I, li I like that she's got like this, um, this like, how did I write down? It's like, it's very clear pronunciation with, like, a lilting delivery that I don't know exactly how young she's supposed to be, but it definitely is, like, a, a pre-high school age-sounding voice. And honestly, I don't know like... how old she is. Like, Ruriko is the character that I think benefits the most from the way the film was written, or the um, way the dub script was written. Because mm -hmm. um, she she is sort of the character who explains a bunch of the things to uh, Hayato. And it, it's done in a way that feels like a very 60s female sidekick character. Mm-hmm. Mm. They had one of those in Cyborg 009, too. Yeah, they, they, uh, Mike Tool actually points out that uh, Ruiko design-wise kind of looks like 003, but aged down a little bit. <laughs> uh, oh my god! And also, in these 20 minutes, she gets more to do than 003 usually gets to do, which <laughs> at least in the 60s, amounts to hold the baby. That's so yeah. bad! And that didn't change for the, the 2000s version, either. She basically did the same thing. The baby so, was so telekinetic, so too! So he look, can so hold look, himself! Look. Look, someone, look, 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 Zero Zero One's having a very hard time. He needs, he needs a hand. Because <laughs> he's a baby. He's very small. You can, you can, you can imagine the pressure he's under. 
<laughs> but why does she have to be the one to hold them? Get get the guy with the rockets in his kneecaps or someone else to do it. Because sexism. <laughs> yeah, luckily, yeah, she gets off much better in this movie. Um, I don't think this movie passes the Bechdel test because she is the only female character. And no, the mom does not count. She dies before she gets to do anything. But the very Which... least, Ruriko doesn't get to be just a love interest. You know, she's actually there to help out. I mean, on that note, since we brought up Mrs. Arashiyama, yeah, like, Anyako gets, like, two or three lines in the entire film. Mm-hmm. She did a good job she, with it, but there's just, like, so little there. She 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 does that one scream really nicely. Yeah. <laughs> I hope she got paid well for that. Me too. <laughs> I'm just. Gonna, I'm laughing yeah. that. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm laughing that uh, the the commentary mentioned that Ruriko looked like 003. I hadn't heard that commentary, and I still made the same connection. I mean, it's it's a very easy connection to make. Yeah, it is. You're right. And yeah, right. Patrick cites as the uh, as the captain of the Phantom ship. Perfect. No notes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. He's kind of a dork. He is a bit of a dork once he finally reveals himself. The, the, the bit of like, oh, I started wearing it because my face was all burned up, but once I once I healed up, I just just used to it. And kept doing it. <laughs> that's all. Yeah, he doesn't. It. He does. That's like that's a, that's a very me way of going through life. It's like I got used to it. I kept doing it. <laughs> also, you know, secretly, you know, obfuscate the fact that he's mostly doing it because it looks cool. <laughs> Could you? Did you know? Or I'm sorry. Did you read the manga to find out if that's also the reason he has a, a skeleton face in that story? Uh, I mostly read. I think there he's actually just doing it to like obscure his identity. There's no particular reason beyond that. Okay. Uh, I just want. I just want to read it because mostly it was just. It's like, oh, this is short. I can probably read this before we record the episode. Yeah, I, 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 I find adaptations interesting, especially at times like this when, like, uh, there's very little pressure to have, like, adaptational fidelity. So what do they do with it when they're given this general outline? Yeah, not just because there's not a whole lot of material to work with, but there's also not the fanboy army that'll get pissed off if you change anything. Precisely. Yep. Like, who's gonna go, who's gonna flame up the message boards because the movie adaptation of Flying Phantom Ship isn't the same as the manga. Come on. I mean, message board in the 1960s, what are they gonna do? Write it on a piece of paper and thumbtack it? <laughs> and it just, it's just, Toei, Toei just has a guy who opens up, who just opens up the generalized mail. It's like, ah, if we, if we throw that in the crash trash. <laughs> and, but he spent so long God, writing that letter. Well, more fuel for the boiler. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but the I thing have... I find the thing I Go find ahead. absolutely hilarious about the Phantom Ship Captain is here he is like branded this absolute terrorist. Uh, he rescues this twelve-year-old boy and then promptly explains to him in the middle of this mind control soda hangover how <laughs> the entire ship works. Oh yeah. Down to the was it the the magnet beams and the nuclear reactor, <laughs> which plays which, which a factor you... in the climax. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, this ship that is nuclear. Does. Yeah, that's another good thing about this movie is that yeah, it's kind of random and goes really quickly, but everything that's set up does kind of come into play at some point in the movie, so nothing's wasted. It's all, to all, all a Chekhov's gun, yeah. <laughs> a Chekhov's ship, if you will. Check out Chekhov's adventure series for boys, a uh, cutaway illustration explaining what everything does. <laughs> <laughs> but as, See, as I... Amon said, like, Patrick Sice's performance is a 10 out of 10, no notes. Like, See, when he I saw... came in there yeah, clearly knowing what he was doing. <laughs> and he, he played him up like an absolute lovable dork. And it's great. I can't. I can't comment or compliment it any further than I already have. Which is the the same thing I'm actually going to say about Frank Todaro as Mr. Arashiyama, even though he really doesn't get a ton to do. He has one amazing death speech, though. 
that was a good like five ten minute death speech too, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. It was. Like yeah, I, 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 I get it, dude. You have a lot of information to pass on, but pass on. <laughs> <laughs> so even uh, in, I... yeah, go ahead. No, you, you first. But even in that scene, he never stops being a dad. Like, Frank brought 100% dad energy to this. Like, I fully expected to find out that he came to the studio in his, like, kiss the chef apron with the hat and uh, grease on his hands from working on his car. He is, like, that much dad in his voice. Oh, how much do you want to bet that um, even beyond the blooper reel, which is included on the Blu-ray, more on that after yes. final thoughts... Um, he was just cracking dad jokes in the booth. Or in his home Most studio, certainly. wherever his performance ended up being recorded. Yeah, did we mention that this was, uh, uh, who the actual, uh, dubbing studio for this was? Oh, yes. I don't believe we, I don't believe I, I actually we... mentioned it, but via, you know, via, via Brittany Lotta being the director, it is via, um, Coach of Sound. Mm-hmm. Which, just, if just I recall case correctly, nowadays is, like, a largely remote recording setup. Yes, they are. And that and props to them for that, because this... Uh, there are some dubbing studios, <coughs> Crunchyroll, who don't... <coughs> Crunchyroll, uh, have a lot of respect for <coughs> Crunchyroll letting people dub from home. Not, not mentioning anyone in particular, just some don't... aren't very good about that. Just drinking this blue pop that I don't know. It's just it's really making me feel a little foamy at the mouth. I should probably get that checked out. Yeah, but yeah, um, Mr. Tadaro presents a like a very '60s cartoon dad, and if you know Crunchyroll ever decided to uh, you know go back and maybe do a do a redub of Mako Gago, you know. As you do. I, I was going to say I did one of the things I liked about Frank's performance is that he very much had that uh I'm completely blanking on the people who made the, the old speed racer dub, but it had that it had that vibe about it and I, I appreciated that. Yes. I wanna say See, I wanna say Fred Ladd, but that was uh, Astro Fred, Boy. Yes, it was Fred Ladd, that's right. Yeah, it, Fred Ladd. It, well was it him too? Cause I know he did Astro Boy. Did he also do uh, Speed Racer? Ah oh. oh, crap, maybe you're right. I don't I don't remember. That's why. I, I gotta check this out now. Damn it. I feel like that was a different time. I think it, well, there's a big enough gap that it would make it would make more sense for it not to be than it to be, but I'm not sure. I don't know. We'll, we'll look this up later. This has nothing to do with this particular anime. Although I, too, question, like they said on the commentary track, why this didn't get kind of picked up at the time period. And I guess it just Japan itself, like Toei didn't really make like a push for it to be picked up. They were think, Yeah, that could have been. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think between that and just the weird length, I think were probably the biggest detriments to it. Because, like, I could easily mm -hmm. see this doing well as, like, one of those, um... Like, Saturday yeah, matinee. I mean, so, yeah, ex exactly, but I feel like you need to pack it with something, and there's the hard part. Mm-hmm. I know, to like, Toei, like, this premiered as, like, kind of a traveling roadshow that Toei would do, but they would package that with, like, episodes of their own TV shows, and I don't know if any, like... <laughs> U.S. distributors would be interested in having that. You know, they need they need to bring it with something to get to feature length. Yeah, and I don't know if yeah. enough people cared to bother with that level of rigmarole for something they would have to like. You have to license this and ooh, put something ooh. else together and blah 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 blah. And like, eh. You know what they should have done? Yeah. Here, brilliant thing they should have done. They should have uh -huh. double feature. Stay with me here on this. Just follow All me right. on this journey. All right. Flying Phantom Ship. All right. With Yellow Submarine. <laughs> Brilliant, right? Sure. <laughs> All right, you've appealed to me, <laughs> but but as history has shown, that is that is a that is a terrible bet. That's all I want. I just want the Amon vote. That's all I want. Well, congratulations, you got the Amon vote. <laughs> Sorry, did you guys have anything else to say about um, uh, Frank's performance? No, I think I'm good. It is good. That's what it is. And. Honestly, like, uh, Moto Marshall as Hayato, like, has massive, massive June 4A energy. Mm. Oh, yeah. There's uh, a, like, I, if you were going to, I can't think of, like, anyone else who has, like, this kind of voice that emulates that 
you know, let's get young boy voiced by a uh, slightly older woman that they did back in this time period. Like, this has, like, Astro Boy and Speed Racer vibes to it, but from an actor who is still working and has been doing this since, like, the late 80s. Yeah. Like, this this is spectacular. Um, it was the vocal performance that felt most period-appropriate. Of a dub, that felt very period-appropriate. Yeah, it's hard to critique that, really. Um, the I think we kind of talked before about how some of the lines, like the... Like, the, the utterance of, like, duh, or holy crap, are kind of out of character for, just for the time period, but they're not out of character for this kind of character. Like, this does have yeah. big Charge Man Ken energy to it, and it's not out of left field to have the character just kind of be a little abrasive in a lovable way. And it honestly feels like something a 12-year-old in the late 60s would say, not necessarily on camera. Mm-hmm. Which makes it feel... Like, it makes it... It appeals more to the 2020s sensibility. There we go. Yes, there we go. Because we don't really have this archetype anymore, I don't feel like. Um, like, this isn't a Deku kind of character. This is definitely the kind of lead boy that you would put in a movie like Puss in Boots or... Uh, animal treasure island or just you know the kind of moves that they were making yeah. that time period mm -hmm. so you like need someone with this spunky protagonist who gets in way over his head yeah mm -hmm. but it's I... still gonna come out in the end because he is just that determined yep. yeah i feel like i feel like the closest i've seen to that during my actual lifetime is and this is probably cheating a little given what it is is like the 90s johnny quest cartoon and that's mostly because it's just a Johnny Quest <laughs> cartoon, which is about, like, two degrees removed from this kind of story in the first place. That's yeah. A good... Yeah, not the original Johnny Quest, the 90s Johnny Quest. The real adventures of Johnny Quest. <laughs> just the one with the very really... Very... <clears throat> the really Extremely... bad CG. Oh, it's... it's I, 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 oh, no. I thought it was amazing at the time. That it apparently, was. It... <laughs> that CG was so bad, they can't actually do any... do much with it to, uh bring it up to hd anymore oh i that that shit must be like it was probably like edited on videotape i'm sure like it's never been oh <laughs> yeah oh that's sad to think about it made it in the computer but had to edit it on tape or so i i've i've read about things like this and they inevitably always had to be edited on some much lower quality format that makes it a complete pain and like just impossible to like upscale in anything that will not look like complete trash it's very unfortunate but they were trying, like, uh, yeah, I don't want to begrudge that those kind of animators at the time, because they were trying with the best that they had. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Just like this crew. This crew did what they could with what they had. Yeah. Which is, uh, um, again, a, a lower frame rate than uh, the movies that Toei had been making before this. It's more economical in, you know, what they do frame to frame. But it's okay, because it still conveys the sense of adventure and weirdness that uh, we, we liked in our late 60s Japanimation stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And giant enemy crabs. Can't go wrong with that. Who doesn't love plenty a giant enemy crab? <coughs> Who crabs? does not love a giant enemy crab? With plenty of weak spots to hit for bonus damage. <laughs> That's a reference, people. All I'm right. not gonna lie, it did, it did pop into my head while watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard, kinda hard not to. Alright, so do um, we have any final thoughts on the film? What a goddamn delight. I'm so yes. happy this exists. I, I uh, am, my, my introduction... Hmm? I am so, so happy that this got picked up. I would have probably never found it otherwise. I probably would have seen, you know, someone like a Mike Tool tweet about it every once in a while, like, why has this not been licensed and think, oh, that's cool, and forget about it. So, uh, fun fact. That is, in fact, how I learned about this movie. <laughs> uh, about, about five years ago, 
the backstory of this is that the website Paste had done a uh, top 100 list of the, like, top 100 anime movies, which got a little attraction because, like, uh, Jason DeMarco from Toonami, like, co-edited it, basically. Um, and after that came out, Mike Tool did, uh, basically he did a thing where he was talking about, it's like, it's a nice list, but the problem with these lists is, like, you can basically predict about 25 of the entries just off the top of your head by, like, <laughs> Everything by Miyazaki is going to be on there. A bunch of other Ghibli movies are going to be on there. Everything by Cone is going to be on there. There's going to be a bunch of like you know Mamoru Hisoto and Shikai movies on there. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to. I'm going to make an alternative list, which is not like here's the actual hundred best anime movies. I just want to see can I make a hun- a top hundred list that has no- nothing in common with the previous list. Uh, and he did, and Flying Phantom Ship is on there, and that's how I learned about it. And ever since then, it's like I really want to see this movie. This sounds great. <laughs> And you know what? It was. It is great. It is. It did live up to your expectations? 100%. This movie it is an absolute hot mess at, a, at 62 minutes long, but it is a ride you will not regret. It's, 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 a, it's, so, it's so just beautifully, like, uh, we are trying to entertain a bunch of 10-year-olds. It is 1969. <laughs> they are going to get bored easily, so we need to, like, keep up the attention. And mm-hmm. the weirder, the better. We need explosions. Keep, we... Keep the left turns coming. Yep. I feel like Do that's. Not... <laughs> I feel like that's the best uh, atmosphere to watch it nowadays. Because I I watch this, uh, it like uh, late at night after work. Um, after I put the kids to bed, and I was like, this is fine. This is all well and good. But I feel like the atmosphere to watch this is like Saturday morning before the sun has come up, before mom and dad have gotten up. And just, like, you've got control of the TV. Like, that feels like the atmosphere that this movie is best experienced under. I, I feel like this must be this must have been so much fun to watch in a theater with, like, a bunch of other, like, restless kids on, like, a weekday, <laughs> like, a weekend afternoon or oh, something. Oh, uh, yeah. Have you ever just, been to a movie with restless with restless kids before? Yeah, no, but you're one of the restless kids, so it's so it's less painful. <laughs> I, I, should, I should clarify, in this scenario, you are also ten. My first experience watching Zootopia in 2016 was uh, was like opening weekend, Oliver's three, <laughs> and all the other kids watching it are also like like there's noise, there's people running up and down the stairs, and you're just trying to hold on to your own kid who wants to run with the other kids for dear life, and you're like, please, dear God, kill me now. <laughs> yeah, like for a movie like this, I feel like the ideal situation for watching it is like on the Sci-Fi Channel at like 5:30 in the morning. Because your dad's passed out on mm. the couch because he was waiting for the coffee to finish <laughs> And you got control of the remote for that beautiful hour until he actually gets up and realizes that he's made the coffee already. <laughs> oh. So yeah, this and this dub does do that justice. There, there was definitely, yes. I feel, a challenge over the, the staff to, like, okay, do we make it feel more modern? Do we... Make it feel dated like dubs from this time period, which please don't do that. And they didn't. They went with the respectable route of this could easily slot into, like you guys were saying, a television broadcast of the movie from the 90s, basically, without yeah, the... slang or dialect that yeah, that really makes it feel dated to this decade either. Yeah, the, the dub definitely feels like that happy middle ground between, you know, 60s Speed Racer cheese and, like... <laughs> the hyper refined dubbing of this era in an era where uh, you wouldn't even know this is Japanese looking at it if you didn't recognize the tropes of like giant robots or flying ships in outer space like this feels like that hodgepodge of like is it Soviet is it Chinese is it British like I don't know what it is it's cartoon and that's all that's good enough for me yeah. So if you did end up wanting to watch The Flying Phantom Ship, um, I don't believe the dub is streaming at this time. Um, I would assume it would go over to, like, Retro Crush at some point. Uh, but for now, it is available on Blu-ray via Discotech. Um, it is very cheap to obtain and 100% worth your time. Mm-hmm. And your money. Yes. Uh, and if you wanted to catch the things uh, Dub Talk is up to, um, if you're catching the audio feed, we are on YouTube, youtube.com slash Um If you are watching this on YouTube, 
Um, we do have audio feeds via, you know, Podbean and and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, do do We have a Twitter account for as long as that's good for. <laughs> uh, mainly just, you know, tweet up updates there. Um, also have a Kofi and a Patreon. And at the end of episodes, we like to shout out our patrons. Uh, so at the $5 tier, we have Megan's mom and dad, Michelle Travis, Julia W., Nico Robin, but with yaoi hands, and Victor Mybaroda. <laughs> um, at the $10 tier, we have Anthony Brown, Carly Lesikow, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Wilson, Jared Hawkins, Marissa Lenti, and Otaku Anthony. Thank you guys so much. Um, without your contribution, um, we would not be able to do what we are doing at the frequency we do it. Indeed. And with that out of the way... Oh, yeah, and um, we do have a Twitch channel now that we, we stream games on. Can you stream anything else on Twitch? Tune into our Twitch stream to watch political I mean, debates about the latest issues in the world. I mean, if I, if I bother to get a camera set up, I could probably stream myself, like, building Gundam models. Like, you, could, you can. That's, oh, that's a good point. That's right. They do have, like, Bob Ross marathons and stuff on Twitch, so I guess yeah. you could do that. I mean, I could do I could do a bathtub stream, but you don't want that. Nobody wants to buy this bathwater. <laughs> this is not Megan's private stream, unfortunately. Get it, Get your own Twitch channel for that. Uh, so where can we find you guys on the wide internets? You can follow me on Twitter, as long as that lasts, uh, at NoahClue. I like to talk about all things of animation from around the world. And I also uh, want to plug my YouTube channel, which is uh, Journey Traveler is the URL. Although if you just search NoahClue on YouTube, you'll probably find it very easily. And the reason I'm plugging that is because... I am actually currently working on a project for the end of the year, um, something I've been meaning to work on, and it is kind of based around our work at DubTalk. It's going to be an in-depth discussion highlighting all the dub changes between the original Japanese audio and the English dub for a very special series. What is that series? Uh, I will finish that very hopefully soon, and then you will find out. So look forward to that. And before hey. I pass on to Amon with his, uh, you know, his... Um, plugs i want to steal his thunder by plugging a dusty old cartoon because uh this movie is also dusty and old so i want to plug another one here uh we talked about miyazaki just a little bit uh because he did have work on this movie particularly designing the giant robot that shows up and if you're wondering where did he get the inspiration for that well best of my knowledge uh one of the movies that heavily inspired both miyazaki and his co-partner isao takahata is the french film from the 1930s, which is called Le Roy et le Rette. Uh, a, translate, a common translation is The King and the Mockingbird, and it was this elaborate, multi-decade spanning movie that got started in the 30s and didn't really even get finished until, like, the late 70s. But different versions of it were released throughout, you know, its production as it was being done. And the, there's a giant robot in it, which uh, heavily inspired the works of Takahata. You can even see the designs a little bit of it in his robots from Laputa, Castle in the Sky. So, Leroy at Lorette. Look it up if you can, and it marvel at some really amazing French animation. Fancy. Excellent. Uh, I'm Amon. You can find me on Twitter at AmonDuelUS. Uh, I do have a Tumblr where you can follow me if you want to see the sort of weird bullshit I like on Tumblr, which, as far as I can tell, is completely inscrutable to anyone other than me, but whatever. Uh, I also have a co-host under, I actually don't remember if mine's Amandul or Amandul US, but you can find me on there, and if Twitter implodes, that's probably where I'll end up anyways. Um, but in the meantime, uh, if you go to me and follow me on those places, you'll mostly see me BS about, you know, comics and things, uh, and music, importantly, because music's the best. And, uh... I was thinking a little bit on what kind of dusty old song I should do here. I was thinking, all right, uh, you know, this doesn't say like a a spooky ghost story with a with a ship for very long, but that's that's a starting point. Do I know any sea shanties? And I don't know any <laughs> sea shanties, but I do know the album she sea shanties by a semi notable uh, psychedelic hard rock '60s band, High Tide. So I recommend you listen to that. 
Uh, it's great. Uh, there was a very narrow window there where High Tide might have had the uh, actual credit for being like the loudest rock band around. It is. It is very. It is very aggressive. Uh, what, what? Very blunt, and they have a violin player, which is very entertaining. Oh, what, nice. what decade would that have been in? I'm sorry, what? What decade would they have been? Uh, did they make that uh, album in? Uh, this this first album came out in 1969. Oh, Same perfect. Same movie. Well, then, yeah, hey. there you go. There's no better which, better that, choice. That, that kind of felt that kind of felt like Kismet. All right, let's go with that then. That makes sense. It's uh, very. I don't know. If, it's all I don't pottery. Think the ten year olds. Exactly. It's fitting that, you know, we're currently in an era of, like, rebellion against the capitalist system, and this movie, and Sea Shanties itself, came back in a big way this year, just like in the time period where this movie came out. Because oh, That's right, I'd forgotten about that. Um, if you if you want a if you want a taster of what it's gonna sound like, I'd recommend the opener, Feudalist's Lament. Uh, that's that's a good heavy slab of rock music. So, go check that out. Expand your brain. Nice. And I'm Roots of Justice. You can find me on the Twitter.com. Well, at last at Roots of Justice. Um, mainly retweeting animal picks, talk general fandom stuff. Good time. You should come see me. Um, also, kind of dusting off my Tumblr just in case. Um, also at Roots of Justice, um, working on stuff, um, gonna have some free time coming up probably after the holidays, so, um, gonna try and get some stuff that I can, you know, maybe build a spinoff off of going, so we'll see how that goes. Um, also have a cool thing of the day for you. Um, if you're not already checking it out, the first two episodes of that sequel reboot to Willow are pretty good. Um, and kind of, kind of taking a little bit of a play on, um, Amon's Dusty Song. Uh, the second episode has a really, really good cover of Hurdy Gurdy Man from, um, this one done by a group called Sir Jude. Uh, that is the end credit song for the second episode. Um, highly recommend at the very least checking out that cover because I happen to really like it. Uh, so uh, with I'm that, on. I, 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 I just listened to, I just started up Feudalist Lament, and you are not. Why would lying. you do that when we're still on stream? That's a terrible idea. <laughs> there is so much fuzz guitar on this, and it's like really blaring, but it's the good kind. But it, like, yeah, it like wakes you up. This is workout music right here. <laughs> Alright, so yeah, I'm going to back up Amon's recommendation. Go check out High Tide. This, I, I don't know what any of the people are doing anymore, but this is a loud, fun album, at least in the first five seconds. Oh, superb. Uh, so yeah, with that, I think we're, um, we're going to go ahead and lift Anchor and end the episode. Alright. Alright. Drinks um, all around. So, you guys know any good sea shanties? Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. Good ones. I know what do you do with a drunken sailor. Ah, there we go. I know a verse of what do you do with a drunken sailor. <laughs> we'll, that, uh, does, uh, we'll go ahead and start does, that up as we, uh, as we go ahead and conclude the episode. <laughs> you guys have a good one. Um, enjoy the rest of your evening. And otaku on that, Deba. Aloha. Check out more retro animation from before you were born. Rock over Boston, rock on Chicago. And click. <laughs>